The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Well, hello and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy, a media producer. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com. Joining me today as my co-host, is spiritual rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm doing okay, Jim. That's good. Okay, just okay. You're wonderful. Well, you know, I am doing wonderful. I was just remarking before we started today that we have so many birds in our yard. It is so joyful. There's like an entire, I don't know, world outside my window right now. So we may hear a little bit of them as we're uh, doing our opening today. Well, that's not a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. Unless it becomes like the movie, The Birds. Did you ever see that? Oh, Alfred God, not, Hitchcock? not in a long time. I think <laughs> I, now I'm wondering if I should or shouldn't. I don't know. I don't know, Jim. Well, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting movie. It seems to have very little plot whatsoever <laughs> but you know it's it's a considered a classic by a lot of people it's Alfred Hitchcock who was a very interesting kind of dude as it turns out but uh but yeah we won't get to that point I don't think no well you know it's been interesting because I've been working a new spiritual practice with cats so there's kind of a Tao with the cats and the birds and the yin and the yang I think going on around here tell me about that what's this what's up with cats here Okay, well, let's hope I can pronounce it properly, but it's called philidomancy or philidomancy. I haven't, I haven't confirmed yet, but it is divination using cat movements or jumps to predict future events, especially the weather. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Really? I have I'm, never heard of this. You know, I hadn't either, and I was doing a little research on something a little obscure, and it popped up, and I thought, huh. I like cats. I work with cats. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll check this out. So it goes way, way back, right? Medieval practice. Huh. And, the, and, and so I'll give you a couple tips. And, you yes. can, and we can see for our listeners if, you know, they can start watching their cats and report back if this actually works. Please, please. But apparently, <laughs> a cat washing its face means rain is coming soon. Hmm. And a cat with a back to the fire means snow is coming. Now, the second one really feels like common sense, right? If the cat is near the fire, maybe snow is coming. But I have been watching my cats, and there's a lot of 
cat face washing going on and there has been quite a bit of rain. Hmm. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but what I do find interesting is whether this is superstition or this is some sort of old practice that, you know, has been handed down for years and there's not quite anything underneath it. I have started paying more attention to the cats. So I'm kind of renaming it into feline mindfulness. Oh. And my cats really, really appreciate that. I'm not quite as loud coming into the house. I'm not tripping over them quite as much. Um, they might be getting a little fatter because I might be feeding them <laughs> a little too much. But, you know, so I found this old practice and then I kind of found a new practice out of it of paying a lot more attention to my cats. So you're probably freaking them out because you're staring at them all the time. They're probably like, what? What is going on here? Oh, you can't stare at cats. That's rule number <laughs> one. You have to stare to the side of cats. That's true. <laughs> I was a little bit worried when you talked about this that you have to throw the cat up in the air or something and see how it lands to see, you know, to do the reading or something. I'm I'm very relieved that that's not what you do. Well, I did come across some gross stuff, but I'm not going to bring that onto our show. Oh, there was one creepy one that I will share. It was believed that if a cat jumped over a corpse. It would become a vampire. Oh no, we can't oh, yes. have that. We can't have that. <laughs> so, you know, if I happen to pass one day and you're around, Jim, make sure a cat jumps over me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a great co host as a vampire. I'm oh sure. my goodness. Well, I think it's much better to use cats than dogs because, you know, when dogs sniff each other's butts, I just don't, I don't know what the meaning of that would be. And it little concerns me. Well, you know, they're just getting to know each other. That's what I hear, but you know, so I've I've heard tarot cards, crystals, you know, various card decks. This is the first I've heard of cat divination. So we'll have to I have a cat too, so you know, I have to I have to so watch you keep, you keep an eye on yours, I'll keep an eye on mine, they'll be like, Oh no, they're on to us. But what I <laughs> what I do think is interesting is because we're talking spiritual practices today, right? When yes. Our interview. And just looking back through history at different things and see what can we reclaim and maybe turn it around a little bit and, uh, and, and see maybe if we get a benefit out of taking something that's old and putting a, a fresh spin on it. Oh, I like that. That sounds like a good philosophy. I like that. All right. Are you ready for dueling inspirations? I am. I got a little deep this time. I wasn't my usual snarky, funny self. Are you oh, ready for this? I'm ready. You ready for a new side of me? Okay, here we go. You cannot hope for peace and joy and health and plenty and opportunity for greater development as long as your subconscious mind is weighted down with old burdens. Hmm, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah? I've, I've been sitting around with some old burdens that I've been trying to shed this week, so this really spoke to me. Any but, idea who it is? I want to say Joseph Murphy, but I don't think that's true. No, that is not true. Maybe in an alternate universe, but in this universe, <laughs> this is Myrtle Fillmore. Oh, Myrtle. Well, that's wonderful. I really we like that. We haven't had any Myrtle in a while, so I thought maybe we'd bring her on today. We do need more Myrtle. We need more Myrtle and Charles, and thankfully we have uh, Martha Creek who comes on just about every episode with her unity moment, so that's, that's very important to us. Oh, I hope she doesn't pick the same one I did. I think you'll be okay. I, we can have more. <laughs> we can always have the Myrtle the merrier, I say. There we go. There we go. What did you come up with this week? You need not leave your room. Remain sitting at your table and listen. You need not even listen. Simply wait. You need not even wait. 
just learn to become quiet and still and solitary, the world will freely offer itself to you to be unmasked. It has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. And I have to say, I stole that from the uh, the book by Philip Goldberg that we're going to be talking about. That's Franz Kafka. Is it? Mm-hmm. I must have missed that page when I was reading the book. I love that. That that's a beefy quote. That's a you got quite a few lines that you snuck in there on me, Jim. But those are those are quite meaningful. Well, we do weigh by the pound here when it comes to words. So. <laughs> I like that. I feel calmer already having heard it. Maybe I'll just sit here for the rest of the time and not speak. Oh, don't do that. We need okay. your, in, we need your input. All right. All right. <laughs> and if you think about it, the last line, it will roll an ecstasy at your feet. Well, that's cats. That is cats. I was getting a little roomy off that too, for some reason. So I, I almost, did too. I almost guessed roomy, but it, but it didn't go with the Zen beginning. So that's, that's kind of a nice little mashup there. It is. It really is. All right, are you ready to jump into the episode? I am, let's get crazy. Let's get crazy. Now here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Hi friends, it's Martha Creek. Serving those who serve and intent to get empowered teachings out to the whole of the planet. Today's topic is acceptance, acceptance. So whatever you're not accepting, you're hostage to. So think about it in terms of a level of consciousness, a radical transformation of consciousness where through a major shift that takes place with the understanding that one is oneself the source and the creator of the experience of your life. That you, you are the source and creator of the experience of your life. Now, this won't be popular with some because taking such responsibility is very distinctive at this degree of evolution, this degree and this level of consciousness to say, oh, then I must take responsibility for my own life experience, not what happens in my life, not what happens to me, through me, but how I react and respond to what happens to me. So then I'm accepting. It's more characterized by the capacity to live in harmony with the way things are, harmoniously with all the forces of life, more harmoniously with whatever life brings. People that function below courage and below acceptance, below willingness, below this level of consciousness tend to be powerless, see themselves as victims and at the mercy of people or life or circumstances. Now this stems from a belief that the source of one's happiness is out there. Instead, then, this level of acceptance is an enormous jump, taking back your own power with the realization that the source of any happiness, the source of any joy or anything that you experience is within yourself. So at this more evolved stage, nothing can be called out there, quote, out there, 
Nothing out there has the capacity to make somebody happy. Nothing out there can make you happy. No amount of love out there is something to be given or taken away by another. But it's generated from within, created from within, causative through the mind and the heart of your own self, of your own being. And it's not to be confused, and I hear a lot of, I get questions about this pretty regularly. Acceptance is not passivity. It's not a doormat. It's not a couch potato. Apathetic. It is a acceptance allows engagement of life on life's own terms without trying to make life conform to your agenda, to my agenda, to my preferences, to my wishes, wants, needs, better be, don't want, must have. So with acceptance, there is more emotional calmness. There's more ability to regulate emotional responses. And our perception is wider and broader. And in this state of being, denial can be transcended. So we can then see things with less distortion, with less misinterpretation, Uh, We see from the context of experience that is expanded and expanding so that we're capable of seeing a bigger picture or the whole picture, the whole picture of life, the whole picture of my own life. And from that broad perspective, then things that I don't like or don't prefer or that are hurtful are kept in the perspective of it was an episode or two in a whole course of a lifetime or over a period of 50 years, I experienced it four or five times maybe. Acceptance is not interested in determining right and wrong. So I practice daily dismantling the binary system of good and bad and right and wrong. And through acceptance, I am dedicated and inviting you to to resolving whatever has been so-called issues and finding out what exactly is causing it and what could I do about it from this point. So then my long-term goals take precedence over short-term impulses. And mastery, mastery, mastery is more prominent. Therefore, at this level of acceptance, I'm freer of discrimination, freer of intolerance, and there is an awareness that equality does not preclude diversity. Acceptance includes rather than rejects. Acceptance includes everything. Acceptance includes the full spectrum. Who would you be as acceptance? MarthaCreek.com to contact me. Ed Biagioni joins us with a segment. Hello, everybody. It is Edward Biagioti. I'm the co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed on Unity Online Radio. And I just wanted to drop a quick minute about the word inclusion. Inclusion is natural. 
Inclusion is who we are. It means that every part of us is divine and sacred and everything that we think negatively about ourselves can be released. Practices like self-forgiveness, meditation, things that bring us back in touch with our own divine nature, free us from these, quote, exclusive points of view that leave us feeling disconnected from the world around us and, and make us forget that we are in a loving kind universe surrounded by other people who are just like us and the more the merry all the differences are like the colors of the rainbow we live in a beautiful universe a big universe as they say in the title of this show once again my name is ed biagioti and i am the co-host of funniest thing with daryl and ed on unity online radio and now it's time for our interview philip goldberg has been studying the world's spiritual traditions for more than 45 years He's the author or co-author of some 25 books published in more than a dozen languages. His book, American Veda, was named by Huffington Post and Library Journal as one of the top 10 religion books of 2010. It was followed in 2018 by the popular biography, The Life of Yogananda. His website is philipgoldberg.com, and his current book is Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. Hi, Philip. How are you today? Hey, good to be with you. I'm doing well. It's uh, it's certainly a, a timely time for your book. Uh, yes, I was about to say I'm doing well under the circumstances. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These certainly are crazy times. It certainly feels that way. Um, it is in, they are indeed. So why did you write the book? Is it because of current experience or, or were you already on the path? Oh, God, no. Um, I wrote it last year um, in uh, just... I guess this time last year, I was probably uh, in the final stages or at least of the first draft. Times had been crazy for a few years, just uh, unprecedented ways. And I noticed uh, in uh, in my meandering about the world that uh, people were having great difficulty with it, especially uh, people I know who are usually um, much more even keeled and uh, maintain a uh, spiritual perspective, and um, they were having difficulty, and um, uh, so was I at times. So I thought, well, times are crazy, uh, and we need spiritual practice more than ever uh, for a variety of reasons, and so. Um, uh, I started working on the book, and then we slated it for publication this coming August to twenty to two thousand twenty. And thinking, well, it, it'll be even crazier then because it'll be <laughs> leading up to to the election. And then, you know, uh, no one anticipated a pandemics. Yes. Oh, wide scale uh, uprisings in the streets, uh, and and so things got even crazier. If such a th- you know beyond what any of us could have imagined, and the book is still coming out in August, but we rushed out uh, in uh, April, I guess the um, ebook version the the digital version for a mere dollar 99 just because we felt my publisher and i that um we had something to offer people in these unprecedented uh, difficult times and so we at least made the ebook available and still is 
if your listeners want to read it in that form. Absolutely. And I've had a chance. I think Sarah has to take a look at the ebook. It's awesome. I'm I'm grateful that you released it now because, you know, it's hard to think of a time that in our, even in our lifetimes that have been uh, more particularly crazy than this, um, at least in this generation. I, you know, I'm old enough to remember the 60s. And I remember, you know, 1968, which everybody yes. always thought was the worst year your most difficult and challenging year in our pub in the public sphere uh and it was yeah but yes. this but but there was <laughs> uh you know people were taking to the streets and there were riots and there were assassination there were war going on everything but there was no there was not a pandemic yeah. uh, making life even stranger and crazier and more uh, mysterious in, in in many ways so yeah this is un unprecedented so yeah, there was a, a phrase phil that would that you use in the beginning of the book saying that you suggest we're in the age of passionate overwhelm <laughs> and that hit me so hard um uh, because I, I do feel like passionate overwhelm well you know that phrase was in the original book before any of this happened. Um, if, in fact, when the pandemic hit and the shutdown happened, I we were in the final stages of finalizing the uh, the galley proofs, um, and we could have made, you know, we were limited by then, but we could have made some changes. And I looked over the book and I said, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. But we added one paragraph to the preface explaining that this, we're now in this period of time and we chose not to change it. So we were in passionate overwhelm even before this. Yes. Right, right. And I think, and, and I think that's why that lands so solidly. Yeah. And it's true. I, I mean, that's one of the reasons uh, I felt compelled to write the book was I would meet people, serious uh, spiritual seekers and finders, um, people who had been on a spiritual path for many, many years, um, and including, I, I, I wouldn't doubt, many of your listeners who were feeling um, that all the spiritual resources that they normally uh, called upon in daily life, um, that they needed something else. And in some cases, they felt too overwhelmed to even do their spirit, their usual spiritual practices, which is one of the reasons um, I felt something had to be said, because it's it's at those times when you need those practices most. It's not, you know, that, well, now I don't have time to meditate, or now I don't have time to pray, or I'm too busy uh, changing the world or I'm too nervous or whatever it is. No, we needed it more than ever for self-protection and self-preservation. But there's even more to it than that, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, you, you almost went to one of my favorite lines, which says that waiting until you are calm before meditating <laughs> is like showering only when you are clean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there we had our choice of metaphors because <laughs> there are, there are many to to make that point. But that that's essentially true. That's when you need it. And and the other um, 
imagined impediment people were were talking about was uh, they're so busy, um, not only with the ordinary uh, responsibilities of life, but uh, the added um, sense of having to keep up with the news in a way they hadn't in a long time, or maybe even taking action in their community or, you know, in political action or whatever it may be, uh, that they're too busy to meditate or do their yoga or, you know, whatever contemplative practice they might have. And, and that's, that's even more common than I'm too agitated to, to mm -hmm. do my practice. Because time, the lack of time is always uh, the, the, I'm going to use the word excuse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's often the rationale. That's true. It's yeah, true. guilty occasionally. Yes, yep. I've, used too. That. Yeah. I've used it. <laughs> Even I, after 50 years of, you know, meditating and teaching others and everything, I'll say, you know, well, I, but then I always uh, remind myself of what I learned many, many years ago, which is that I, you don't do spiritual practice as a luxury. It's, it's a, a necessity of life. It's part of the uh, routine maintenance, so to speak you know, like showering and eating and, you know, exercising and all that, that we, we needed to maintain, uh, keep our heads above the water of stress and strain and uh, to keep our health and uh, vigor up, but also to, uh, as a platform for a more efficient and dynamic action. So if you value action in the world, um, good, deep spiritual practices are not uh, antithetical to that. They're not mm -hmm. escape mechanisms. They're preparation for that. And um, you read it, I'm sure, in the book, but I always uh, uh, recall uh, Mahatma Gandhi in this context. Uh, and I always joke that, yeah, Gandhi didn't have uh, kids to take to soccer practice but he, <laughs> he was trying to liberate a, a nation from the uh boot heels of uh colonialism and he one day famously said i i have so much on my plate to, i'm paraphrasing i have so much to do today that i i'm going to have to start the day with uh by meditating for two hours instead of just one yeah it, it, it was a, an investment of time to come out into the world better equipped to do what we do. And, that, and, that, and you, talk about it. you talk about being yeah, spiritual ahead. practices as technologies, which I think is yeah. really an interesting way to put it. Yeah, I, I always like to, I'm a practical guy. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, to me I'm, I'm just gonna rudely interrupt you here we need to go okay. to a break but we'll be right back on big universe we are spiritual beings having a human experience welcome to unity online radio the voice of an awakening world Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. 
Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm sorry, Phil, I interrupted you in the midst of talking about spiritual practices as technology, and we're talking about the importance of being prepared with spiritual practice when things are when things are happening in crazy times. Yeah, I, um, you know, most of my uh, personal spiritual repertoire and my orientation uh, is in what we can think of loosely as the uh, the yoga repertoire, uh, the tradition of yogic practices that we think of as Hinduism or uh, Buddhism, and were you know conceived and um, and developed in India. And I always uh, one of my previous books was uh, called American Veda, and it talked about how all these spiritual teachings from the East came to the to America. And one of the reasons they caught on here, one of the reasons meditation and yoga and all these things are now mainstream, is because uh, the teachers who came here had this very practical orientation. They didn't say you had to believe in something, you didn't say you had to convert to anything. Uh, they said, you know, we have developed these practices, and if you use them, uh, you'll see if they work for you. And we think of them as a science. There's uh, a philosophical or theoretical aspect to the science, and there's the technologies of the science. And the, the technologies arise, and they either confirm or refute <laughs> the uh, philosophy. And and that's that was how what I, what drew me to uh, these uh, spiritual practices and it's how i like to think of them and it's especially how i like to uh, talk about them with uh people in the west and in, in america who have you know we're very practical people um if something works we adopt it and uh that's the spirit in which i uh, hope people explore the the great um, opportunities for spiritual practice out there you try them you see what works can you uh, formulate a uh, uh, an inventory, so to speak, of the ones that work best for you? And that's where you talk about pragmatic mysticism. Yeah, that's the term I like. Um, I, by mysticism, I mean, um, you know, there's a, a, a branch of every world religion that is oriented toward the direct inner experience of the divine. Uh, and are oriented around uh, what scholars call praxis or the regular spiritual uh, rituals and disciplines and practices. And uh, that aspect of spirituality, what is what we think of as the mystical teachings, are really, I mean, it has this aura, mystical, seems very otherworldly. But as I discovered when I was young and seeking, I remember one day saying, why do they call this mystical? It seems very rational and practical to me. You do these practices, if they work, you keep doing them and you see how, see what they bring about. And uh, so that's why I, I, I call the term a pragmatic mysticism. What, what to you is a spiritual practice? What is it, uh, what, what's a definition of that to you? It's a good question. Uh, to a certain extent, it's subjective, isn't it? Because, you know, one person's spiritual practice may be someone else's hobby 
or you know pastime or something depending on their point of view but certain things are held sacred to people it's like i've been practicing meditation now since 1968 and uh you know i have many other practices as well but um for many people the same form of meditation is a form of stress release or uh, uh, a good health practice some people do go to yoga studios uh, just to look better or to you know improve their their health or their fitness and to, but to others it, these are sacred spiritual disciplines that uh, cultivate a certain connection to the realm of the sacred the realm of the divine the realm of god if you use that language um, and and that's what makes them spiritual so uh, that's why there could be you know 200 pages of, <laughs> of spiritual practices <laughs> in, in books and there are many thousands of them in, in many other books that because um we can we can expand or contract the the range of what we include in the notion of spiritual practice but as, for example one of the things i say in my book is um you know sometimes we need the relief of a spiritual practice but that could mean listening to your favorite song it doesn't have to be a hymn it doesn't have to be you know what uh, the you know your particular tradition would call you know list in the sacred music category it could be you know name your favorite singer but it moves you in a certain way and brings you closer to your deepest self and that makes it in that moment spiritual you know a walk in the woods can be a deeply spiritual experience or it could just be exercise so a big part of this is what is spiritual to you what is what meets your spiritual needs in that moment and by spiritual i mean what connects you to to the larger uh reality of <laughs> the big universe uh or the, <laughs> well said phil <laughs> thank you or, yes or, a universal plug for us <laughs> yes uh, you know because that's our own essence you know the big universe is within us one of the things I say in the book is we all have a sanctuary within us, a sacred sanctuary. It's the innermost self. It's the piece of us that is divine. That's that spark of divinity. And it, we, we, there any method that brings us into that space of inner peace and um, um, silence is, a, is an effective spiritual practice. And some of them are um, more likely to do that and do it on a regular basis than others. And those are the ones that become part of our regular routines. Hence, meditation is so popular and, and various other you know, forms of uh, uh, contemplative prayer, for example, and, and so many others. So you mentioned in the book, spiritual two-step. We need to do a spiritual two-step. What does yeah. that mean to you? Uh, it's essentially go in and then come out. Um, and the, the two strokes, the inward and the outward, is, is what I was alluding to before when I talked about Gandhi and the importance of spiritual practice being not just um, a refuge for us not just a a 
personal way of finding sanctuary in the midst of a crazy world or finding a little our own peace of, of, of protecting ourselves. It is also a, a fortress of strength. It, it, it brings us back into the world better equipped uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually to do whatever we do in the world more effectively and with more compassion, with more love, with more clarity of thought, and with a, a feeling of and a, a, a sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves, which you know we could think of in secular terms or religious terms or whatever, to God, to the universe, to nature, to the uh, community, to our fellow uh, human beings, to the planet, that sense of connection and the access to our deepest intelligence and uh, most uh, uh, uplifting emotions makes us better human beings acting in the world, making, you know, so that we can help make it a little more sane than it actually is whether we're you know running for office or just you know taking care of our families we can do it better if we have a good set of spiritual practices and at the same time preserve our own health and our own uh, peace of mind that hence spiritual two-step when because there's no escaping there's no escaping the world i mean you can you know whatever your orientation about how things are in the world very few of us, certainly very few people listening, are going off to live in a cave in the Himalayas. We're in the world, and so we may as well bring our best selves to it. Yeah, it doesn't do much good to the world if you're just isolating and not participating with the knowledge that you've gained, I, I, I guess. Yeah, um, and, and most of us are called in that direction. I, I love the saints and, you know, monastics who live in seclusion and uh, uh, leave the world, you know, but those are very rare human beings. And even they have to be engaged in the world somewhat or else they don't eat. (laughs) So, well, and I think another piece of that too, is sometimes people don't escape to the cave in the Himalaya. They escape through other things. Yes. Ice cream and Netflix. And I had some kind of unhealthier versions of those things, but yeah. I'm wondering, you know, spiritual practice as the ability and, to keep us from those. Yeah, I'm I'm all for Netflix and ice cream, but you know the uh, addictions and uh, you know you can overdo anything, and um, you know you can make the most of anything. You, you know, even even things that are in excess not good for us can be uh, useful. Uh, adjuncts to life but you can you know unless you watch Netflix and eat ice cream all your waking hours you're still you know you still have neighbors you still have family you still have a job presumably you know once the pandemic ends you you know we still have uh, connections to other people in the world and other community and so forth and and so why not bring if you're not bringing your best to it then you're or at least 
something approaching your, your best self, uh, then you're possibly making the world even crazier than it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm writing that down. No 24-7 Netflix. <laughs> no 24-7 ice cream. Okay, I'll stop doing that. <laughs> um, let me ask you what let me ask you about some of the tools some of the mm. spiritual um, practices that you would recommend I know meditation is is huge and yeah. and can you go into a little bit what tools can people use to to do this well I kind of um, in the chapters in the book I I begin with um, uh, creating your own regular spiritual routine. And I think some form of deep meditation is a centerpiece from, for, of that. Well, at least that's what I would recommend. Um, a, a, a way of going within into uh, your own inner uh, sanctuary of silence. Then there are practices that are useful before and after that. Uh, including physical practices and breathing practices, uh, worship or devotional practices, and there are many that I use. But I also talk about having, uh, creating an inventory of practices, and there are many, many to choose from, and I have examples throughout the book, um, where I recommend that people sort of uh, block out lists of spiritual practices and placing them in uh, a kind of indexed um, inventory according to time. Because sometimes you have like two, three minutes to, you know, turn everything off and engage in some form of uh, rejuvenative spiritual practice. So why not list what you can do that works for you in that mm -hmm. two, three minutes or under five and then maybe you have a half hour, so list what you might do in less than 30 minutes or an hour or, you know, half a day or a full day and, and, and so forth. So, so when you feel the call, you have, a, you know, the, a sort of list of what's in your, your pantry, your, in, your inventory. But I also talk about the importance of working with the mind so you change your perspective i mean we joked about the term big universe but one of the things i talk about is reframing what's going on in the moment so you can step back and take the big picture the at that you are part of the universe that this is not just some uh event that's disconnected from the larger picture and there's refuge in that there's perspective in that there's an opportunity to, to shift your attitude from perhaps one of uh, um, self-pity or worry or fear into something uh, that sees the bigger picture, uh, the longer term view and, and a more positive orientation. There's um, spiritual practices that have to do with our relationships. Uh, with our loved ones, with the, the larger community. Um, and there's ways to, to um, as I, the chapter title puts it, to get a little help from our friends. Even in this time we're in now of, uh, of social uh, distancing, um, I'm, I've been uh, heartened by so many people reconnecting with loved ones by Zoom 
or telephone yeah. uh, and, and finding, uh, you know, uh, reason to reach out, whereas before they may have been too busy for that. There's great comfort. And, and that can be a spiritualized uh, act of reaching out to others, of, of finding, getting help from them, and perhaps even more important, helping them. Because one of the important spiritual practices I find in, in your life, in, in, in how you use your time, is devoting some part of your day, part of your week, whatever it is, minutes, hours, to doing something for other people mm-hmm. or for, yeah. for, the, for the community, for the planet. Um, however limited and insignificant it may seem to you, getting out of your own self-concerns and your, your ego to uh, do a, something of service is a deep spiritual practice, and it also has the added benefit of, of, of making the world a slightly better place. And, you know, there's also, you know, a whole lot of things we can do um, in the moment when, when stuff happens, when, when we're caught what you up. What call immediate intervention, is that what you're talking immediate about? Immediate, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. immediate interventions. And, um, you know, just little things like how to breathe, just to calm down when you're agitated. Uh, it just it, it sounds simple, uh, but we forget. And there are ways to trigger the reminders to center ourselves before we do something we might regret uh, or um, get o- overwhelmed. We can intervene in those moments. And there's ways to sort of sanctify our uh, our, our world, you know, our homes. Uh, finding sacred spaces outside of the home, creating, you know, sanctuaries uh, in our homes and, you know, placing little reminders of, of what's important and what reminds us of our place in the universe. Or maybe it's a, a reminder of a, a revered spiritual figure or of uh, divinity, however we define it and however we pursue it. Um, all these little things can help us, even just, you know, a, a picture of a loved one, you know, carried in our wallets. That's why you see all these high-powered business executives with pictures of their family on their desk. You know, it's not, it's not just to show off. It often is like in the midst of a crazy day, reminds them what's important and you know there's many ways of many 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 ways of doing these things and you talk about sacred citizenship which reminds me of going out into the world what you're talking about about going into the world what does that mean this day and age i think it's it is so critical Uh, the world needs people who are grounded in a spiritual um sense of our place in the universe and who are more likely to bring into uh, their activities in the world um, a capacity for love and uh, compassion and empathy and deep genuine concern for people who are uh, less fortunate for people who are suffering the more deeply uh, spiritual people 
participate in the world and not settle for just uh, their own spiritual development or their own spiritual advancement and, and accept the responsibility of citizenship. I, I don't want to sound you know, preachy or self-righteous, but the world needs as much help as it can get. And even if it just means, you know, you, you volunteer at your kid's school or you, you know, during this pandemic in the early days, I got a phone call from someone down the street who we hardly ever see, but they realized I'm of their parents' generation. And they felt, oh, I may be more, I meaning me, Phil, may be more uh, vulnerable to the pandemic, the coronavirus. They asked if they could do any shopping for us. I mean, it was just a beautiful, beautiful gesture of somebody taking some responsibility for the neighborhood, for the community. I mean, this is to me, you know, what is we needed. And, you know, other people decided, you know, they're going to run for office or, you know, uh, take leave from their job and, and do something in the political realm or, you know, just fight for the better schools or homes for the people, the homeless in their community, whatever it is, uh, we're all in this together as we've been reminded with this virus. And um, the more we're able to contribute, however limited it may be, uh, you know, every drop uh, adds up. So Phil, if there was one single thing you could recommend that people do every day, what would that be? Well, as I said, I'm a big fan of deep meditation. But whatever it is, whatever works for you, whatever brings you regularly into your sanctuary of peace, whatever methods or combinations of methods do that for you, do it regularly, do it every day, do it as routinely as you might, you know, taking a shower or having your morning coffee or whatever it is. And I don't want to. I don't want to say do this method or that. You know, just because I I recognize the individuality of these choices, and and that's what I, I I in addition to whatever I just said, I would say take responsibility for your spiritual life and take it seriously and do your everything you can to cultivate it. It'll make you the best person you can be. Got about two minutes left, and I just wanted to ask you briefly about Meta um, and and that that process. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, Meta, spelled M-E-T-T-A, is a traditional Buddhist practice uh, that is meant to uh, cultivate the quality of compassion. Well, many people practice it just by itself. Um, I favor it when I do it. Uh, after my own meditation practice, because I'm already quiet and settled, it's a series of inner statements that you take in that move you progressively from feelings of compassion for, one, for yourself and then outwardly to progressively uh, more distant people in your life and culminating. Uh, well, there's one step that's usually harder for people, but the feeling of cultivating the best wishes and compass, sense of loving kindness for people who give you trouble. 
<laughs> which is hard, <laughs> harder to do harder to do than the loved ones that's and the they, muscle we stretch <laughs> yes but it's but it's a useful muscle it's not just not for that person you may never see that person again but for yourself and for and then culminating in uh, feelings of loving kindness and best wishes of uh, peace and uh, wisdom to uh, all beings in, in the world. And it's a very useful way of cultivating the heart. I love that. I think that's a, that's a wonderful practice. And there are so many great practices in your book. Um, I just, uh, I, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, make sure that uh, Everybody looks at Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. Um, it's out on ebook currently, and it will be out in August in print. Yes, and if you don't uh, read ebooks, uh, you can go online and pre-order the book, and uh, then it'll be automatically sent uh, when on the official pub date. Excellent, and people can also listen to you on your podcast, which is Spirit yes. Matters. How do they Spirit find that? Spirit Matters. Uh, the usual ways you download podcasts on the internet at spiritmatterstalk.com. It's a free uh, 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 podcast. We've got an archive of 250 or so interviews with many spiritual luminaries, including a few that are on Unity uh, Radio. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And philipgoldberg.com is a great place to find you as well. Yes, it is. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Phil. For more great information about Sarah Bowen, go to www.spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses, and I help to create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. I hope you join me there. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Sarah. Wonderful thanks, to have you. And we'll, be, we'll talk to you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark, on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.